Good morning. I oftentimes will say when I'm up here doing this that I'm humbled by uh, what uh, I am being charged to do. Uh, I will say that after getting many inappropriate text messages from our pastor yesterday, I'm less humbled by what I'm doing, and I know that there's a need for what you're going to hear today. And there may have been a reason why he may have been left off the list earlier. But I do tell his wife I pray for her often because raising four children is hard. Um, oftentimes when I'm asked to preach, it's, you know, oh, sometime in the future you're going to preach, and then uh, if you want to preach on this, that's fine. Well, this time I was just, hey, I want you to preach on Deuteronomy 6, and it just happens to be one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, but I didn't quite realize at that point that it would also be the same week as our uh, parent-child dedication. Uh, and so as I've uh, quite honestly struggled over the last you know, month and a half on thinking about this, knowing that this charge to uh, our parents was also a charge given to me at some point with my children. Uh, and um, uh, God's not done with me yet. <laughs> and uh, though I am proud of my children, I'm oftentimes not proud of uh, the parenting I've done with them, not for the results of them, but the results in my heart. Uh, and then when we sing a song that says, Jesus never fails, then I will suddenly know that the strength that I have is only because of the strength provided through Jesus Christ. And I hope through today that that's one of the things that you will understand is that uh, this, this passage is a great challenge to the people of Israel about remembering whose they are. Uh, and then even a greater challenge to the parents to keep reminding the people of who they are. This is Deuteronomy 6, and I'm going to be reading it from a different version of Scripture than most of y'all. Um, I am a uh, great fan of Scripture. I have uh, more translations than I should. Uh, Wendy wishes I would have less translations because of the space they take up. Um, but part of that is not necessarily because one is better than the other or one is more inferior than the other, but people have come together and assembled and have prayed and researched in order to find a way to retell Scripture based on the ancient text. And the one I'm reading from today is from the complete Jewish Bible. This is a Bible uh, that is the Old Testament, the New Testament, it's the complete Bible. Uh, it has been uh, assembled by completed Jews. Uh, these are Jews who have become Christians. Uh, and one of their main uh, goals is to uh, keep the story of Scripture, uh, and more importantly, the story of who God is, consistent throughout uh, all of Scripture. So the words they use for God uh, the words they use for even uh, Jesus uh, are through the ancient text. And there's a poetry about that that, to me, is very calming at times. So some of the words that you're going to hear are not the same words in your Bible. 
Uh, some of them are going to uh, sound like them. Uh, I'm going to butcher their pronunciation. I will, I will admit that now, but I'm going to do the best I can uh, in my failed experience uh, at doing this. So um, I'm not going to ask you to stand because I really want you to focus on the words that I'm reading, but please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6, and you will see some of the nuances between what you may see in your ESV, NIV, NASB, um, whatever it is that Brandy has, the New Century, yes. So uh, we love Brandy's edition. Uh, we hear it often. Uh, so listen as I read uh, Deuteronomy 6. Now, this is the misvah, the laws, the rulings, which Adonai, your God, ordered me to teach you for you to obey in the land you are crossing over to possess, so that you will fear Adonai, your God, and observe all his regulations and mitzvah, and that I am giving you your child and your grandchild as long as you live, and so that you will have long life. Therefore, listen, Israel, and take care to obey, so that things will go well with you, and so that you will increase greatly, as Adonai, the God of your ancestors, promised you by giving you a land flowing with milk and honey. Shema, Israel, Adonai, Elohim, Adonai, Akshad, hear, Israel, Adonai, our God, Adonai is one. And you are to love Adonai, your God, with all your heart, all your being, and all your resources. These words which I am ordering you today are to be on your heart, and you are to teach them carefully to the children. You are to talk about them when you sit at home, when you're traveling on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them on your hand as a sign. Put them at the front of your headband or around your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. When Adonai, your God, was brought, when Adonai, your God, has brought you into the land, he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and you would know that he would give you cities, great and prosperous, which you didn't build, houses full of all sorts of good things, which you didn't fill, water systems dug out, which you didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you didn't plant, and you have eaten your full. Then be careful not to forget Adonai, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, where you lived as slaves. You are to fear Adonai, your God, and serve him, and swear by his name. You are not to follow other gods chosen from the gods of the people around you, because Adonai, your God, who is here with you, is a jealous God. If you do, the anger of Adonai, your God, will flare up against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the earth. Do not put Adonai, your God, to the test, as you tested him at Massa. Observe diligently the mitzvah of the Adonai, your God, and his instructions and laws which he has given you. You are to do what is right and good in the sight of Adonai, so that he will go well with you, and you will enter and possess the good land Adonai swore to your ancestors, expelling all your enemies ahead of you, as Adonai said. Someday your child will ask, what is the meaning of the instructions, laws, and rulings which Adonai our God has laid down for you? Then you will tell your children, 
When we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and Adonai brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand, Adonai worked great and terrible signs and wonders against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household before our very eyes. He brought us out from there in order to bring us into the land he has sworn to our ancestors that he would give us. Adonai ordered us to observe all these laws, to fear Adonai our God, always for our own good, so that he might keep us alive as we are today. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to obey all these mitzvah before Adonai our God, just as he ordered us to do. Join me as I pray. Father, you have uh, made us in your image. You have desired a relationship with us from the beginning of time. You have patiently dealt with your people uh, many times uh, in a way that was um, hard for them to understand and deal with. But uh, we understand uh, in our human way as parents that is uh, just the way you have to do it sometimes. Uh, and you have been fair and faithful throughout all these years. Father, you have given us your commands. You have given us your precepts. You have led us out of our own uh, misfortunes. Uh, you have provided for us a redemption for our sins through Christ Jesus. And now you have put within us the Holy Spirit within us to be able to uh, understand your precepts and to apply them to our lives. Father, I pray you'll bless this time as we uh, look into your word uh, to just uh, reflect on what we as uh, children of somebody, with many of us as parents of children, uh, and even more of us who are grandparents to children, uh, the responsibility that we have uh, to raise them in a manner that is worthy of you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Oftentimes people are asked, what were your first memories? And I've often tried to think back of what my first memories are. I remember a trip to Disneyland, and we're all having a good time, and then my parents say, oh, let's go run, ride the submarine ride. And for some reason, nah, I wasn't really excited about that. And I hemmed and hawed. Well, being the wise parents that they were, they took me into the gift shop, they bought me a hat, and said, let's go ride the submarine ride. And so I went into the ride with a little worry, and it was my favorite ride of the day. Uh, it was fascinating and just enjoyable, uh, and so uh, everything worked out well. But I also um, remember swinging at a pinata, hanging from the end of a swing set of Denise Diaz's house, two doors down from me, when we were growing up. And I, I knew at that point that I was going to marry that girl. Um, it didn't work out quite that well. Um, but uh, that memory still sticks into my head. But I think really the first memory I really have is waking up in a hospital bed, in a ward a children's ward at a hospital in Los Angeles. And it was dark. It was the middle of the night. Uh, I remember I was in a bed that had side rails on it. Uh, I was between three and four. Um, 
And my bed was pushed against a window that had no window coverings on it, but looked to the outside. And I remember turning around and looking out this window and looking into the valley of, of L.A., into the hillside, and seeing all the lights. Now, I was doing it with this one eye, because I had a patch over the other eye, but still, it was just fascinating. And I can still just visually remember that. And then I remember waking up the next morning, and a couple of doctors came in, and you know they had white coats on, and they mumbled things, and then they ripped a patch off my eye, and then they told my mom she could come in. Uh, so uh, I also remember the ride home. I, for some reason, you know, anytime you ride anywhere in L.A., it's memorable, especially if you ride with one of your adult children. I don't wish that upon anyone. Um, so, but those are some of the first memories I um, have. Uh, matter of fact, I, I, I have the bill from that hospital stay. Um, when my parents died, there was an envelope, and inside an envelope was the actual bill. Uh, there was a list of all the appointments that took us up to that. And so that's kind of always been uh, something that I've just kind of remembered. So what does that have to do with Deuteronomy 6? Among the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 6, there was some little boy sitting on the edge of the Jordan River looking off into this land across the way with fascination, not knowing what was going on, why they were there, and soon he will cross with his family into the promised land. I'm sure his parents had told him of the journey. I mean, they, their parents had not survived this journey, but now they had endured many years of it, and now they're to the point where they're going to cross over into this great uh, land that God has promised them. Um, I can fast forward now in my own life from that hospital room in L.A. to another spot in, in L.A. And I can remember a gentle touch on my arm by my wife. Just some simple words. Maybe you need to sit in the car just a little longer, and let me and the girls go inside. She didn't have to say anything because I knew what she meant. I needed to sit in the car a little longer. In fact, I still park in that spot every day and have for probably 16 years now, 17 years. And oftentimes, as I pull in, I ask myself, do I need to sit in the car a little longer? Again, where am I going with this? Deuteronomy 6 is a promise, a proclamation, a command to the people of Israel via Moses, but through God. It was not a suggestion. It was not a recommendation. It was a commandment. It starts out pretty direct. Therefore, listen, Israel, and take care to obey. Why? So things will go well for you, so that you will increase greatly as Adonai, your God, your ancestors promised you by giving you a land filled with milk and honey. Then the second imperative, Shema, Israel, Adonai, Elohim, 
Adonai Eshad. Hear, O Israel, Adonai, our God is one. So basically it started with listen, obey. This is why, so listen. It reminds me of my dad. He should just look over his glasses and penetrate you with his eyes and really get your attention. And every once in a while, he would just point. God is telling Moses, you need to tell the people to listen here. Why was God so insistent that the people listen? The Bible gives us instructions within its pages on how we can manage our lives. This passage passage especially directs instructions for the families of Israel to raise their children with a godly example based on how God has treated the people of Israel. I feel there are four concepts or precepts that God is trying to get to them to understand. First, don't ever forget who loves you. In verses 5 through 9, God is specifically reminding the people that he loves them and that you are to love Adonai, your God, with all of your heart and all of your being and all of your resources. These words which I am ordering today are not to be are to be on your heart, and you are to teach them carefully to your children. You are to talk about them when you sit down at home, when you travel on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You see, that day that I had to sit in the car, I had not taught my kids this. Traveling the road, I was not doing godly things in my conversations with them. And yet... I knew I should. Verse 8, tie them on your hand as a sign. Put them at the front of a headband around your forehead and write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. So when you walk down the hall of our house, there are nice little frames and pictures with little uh, nice sayings about, you know, how to be good parents and how to be good children of God and Obviously, I ignored many of those as I walked down at all. God is instructing the Israelites, and in fact, us, to love God with all of our heart, all of our being, and all of our resources. In fact, he is ordering it. These facts should be on your heart. They should be taught to your children. You are to talk about him when you are traveling on the road and when you lie down and when you get up. That's a big command. There are many opportunities we have to do this, and we we don't take advantage of it. And when we don't take advantage of it, we're missing the opportunities. But that gentle touch I got from Wendy in our garage was after a trip home from somewhere. I can't even tell you where it was. I had not reminded my children of God, of his love, of of his importance, Rather, I decided to terrorize them with, over something probably very insignificant. So much so, I don't even remember what it was. They probably do. Um, uh, they were probably like 14, 15, and 16 at that time. They were beyond them an impressionable age. Uh, a fragile time in their lives where my words could tip the scales of the future. I was failing as a father. I was not teaching them God's love. In fact, I was showing them that I had no clue about God's love. 
If you wonder why children wander from their faith of their fathers, it's because their fathers are not bearing the word of God into their hearts. And when I mean their hearts, their own hearts, and their children's heart. Most often this happens because the father hasn't buried the word of God in his heart. At that time in my life, I was probably denying God's word and just winging it. The same was true of Israel. Here they are, soon, to cross into the promised land. And God wanted to make sure, don't fall to the enemy. I'm about to hand to you. Trust me. Trust the God who made you and sustains you for all these years. Remember who loved you. Remember, they could have been there 20 years earlier. But because of an impatient Moses, because of an impatient people of Israel, they had uh, granted themselves a 20-year continuation in their journey. Number two, don't forget who will provide for you. God was going to lead his people into a new land, a home that he had promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Remember, the Israelites were carrying the bones of Joseph with them that they brought in the Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the remainders of God's faithfulness. Joseph, the son of Jacob, the reason the people of God were in Egypt. Jacob, the son of Isaac, who had to leave his family and turn to where his grandfather was from the father of Isaac. Isaac, that same promised son of Abraham that God promised would be birthed by his aged wife, Sarah. All of these were hard to believe, yet God provided. However, was now going to be provided even more. A land full of large cities that they didn't build. Houses full with all kinds of good things that they didn't provide. A land with wells that they didn't dig. Vineyards and olive groves that they didn't plant. So what they should be teaching their children, the least you can do is when you eat and you are satisfied, remind them it was God, the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of slavery. Again, they'd already failed at this. They grumbled and complained throughout their wanderings in the wilderness. Oh, all we got is manna to eat. All we get is some weird quail meat on the weekends. Um, Oh, we're thirsty. Several times they wished they had never left the comfort of Egypt. They even went as far as to create idols to worship, to rescue them from their horrible conditions. Teaching our children about God means burying his word into their hearts. What is instruction? In this case, instruction would happen because you were burying the whole counsel of God's word in your heart. And you included all the warts and scars and hurts caused when God's people didn't follow his word. In fact, in many cases, they flat out rejected it. And tried to make their way higher than God's way. Which leads us to number three. Don't test God. Why do you think God added this? I mean, had they tested him before? God instructed Moses to give the people some very specific warnings. Parents should be reminding their children. Fear the Lord your God. Serve 
him only. Take oath only in his name. I mean, you better not back up your side of an argument. Who, who better can back up your side of an argument? Do not follow other gods, especially the gods of the people around you, or better yet, gods of your own making. Do not test the Lord your God. He has just told them that. Your God, who is with you, is a jealous God. He will get angry, and this will not go well for you. How so? He will wipe you off the face of the earth. Be sure to keep his commandments, his stipulations, and his decrees that he has given you. Do what is right in the Lord's sight, so that it will go with you and yours. If you do this, then you can come and go and take over the land that God threw an oath to his people, promising to remove your enemies from the land. What better promise could they have had? I'm going to take them out. I'm going to remove them from the land. This is now your land. This is some heavy stuff. But is, ask, is, it, but is it asking too much of them? I think not. Why? They should remind their children that they were enslaved in a foreign land and being forced for little to no wages. They needed to be reminded that Pharaoh hated them, and he felt that they were a drain on his people. It was time for them to give back. In Exodus 1.8, it starts this whole uh, story of the Exodus with, Then a new king, who did not know Joseph, came to power in Egypt. He didn't care about Joseph, Joseph's God. He didn't even care that the previous pharaohs cared. He looked around and saw all these Israelites who did not look like them, who did not share his beliefs, and he felt they had lived off to Egypt for too long. God felt it was time to rescue his people. As we have learned, as Wes and Shane have been preaching through the book of Exodus, it took God hardening the heart of Pharaoh to rescue his people. And through this, God provided everything for them. I'm sure God feels the same about us, Sometimes, look how much I have provided for you, and yet you want more. You want different. The most important thing God can provide for us is salvation, reconciliation for our sins. The one thing that separates us from God is the one thing that God has provided the means to mediate, an atonement for our sins. And that, too, a gift, the gift of Christ. To us, Christ is like the fire and the cloud leading the Egyptians or the Israelites through the desert. Through his spirit, he can lead us out of our individual Egypts. He doesn't have to provide wealth for us. He doesn't have to provide land and possessions for us. He's already provided the most important thing in the world, salvation, the opportunity to be reconciled with his father, God, something we cannot do for ourselves. God, through Jesus, has provided for us. Why would we want to test that? That is what we as parents should be teaching our children. Lastly, God wants us to tell our children about God. Chapter 6 is wrapped up in kind of an inclusio. Inclusio is like a literary device where you start a section of Scripture with a thought, 
and then you return at the end of that same section with that same thought. God starts in verses 1 through 3 describing the what and the why of this upcoming passage. God declares that these are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed Moses to teach the people to absorb in the land that they are crossing, the Jordan to possess. They have wandered for 40 years. God has done great things for them. He has put up with them, and they are on the cusp of being able to go in into this thing. This will be one of the last things that Moses is able to proclaim to his people, but yet they still will be hesitant. But listen to what he says here. Do this so that your children and their children may fear the Lord your God as long as they live, keeping and obeying all the decrees and the commands that God has given them. He wants our kids to fear them. Not that we would expect. That's not what we expect. I don't want little Dean to fear Big Daddy. You can guess who Big Daddy is. But my wife is not Big Mama. But I do want him to respect me and to know that I love him and I want to protect him. What happens if the Israelites do this? They can expect that, they will go, that things will go well with them and that they will increase greatly in a land of milk and honey, just as God has promised. Now, fearing the Lord has not always worked well for the Israelites. The phrase, fear the Lord, appears 32 times in Scripture. Eleven of those 32 times, one-third of the times it's mentioned, it's in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and the book of Joshua. All these are the Scriptures that lead us to the Exodus, the journey, and the entry into the promised land. It's obviously important to God that they fear him in a healthy way. The land that God has, sent the, has set aside them was a common theme here. God's people need to listen on their quest to get to this promised land. The reason? It shows up 32 times in the scriptures. People need to be reminded to fear the Lord. They kept pushing their luck. Again, we're talking about 40 years of wandering here. Plenty of time for parents to teach their children to fear the Lord. It's been 4,000 some odd years then, and I'm not sure that we've done a great job of teaching our children to fear the Lord and to take this command, and don't take this command lightly. Scripture shares many times where a healthy fear of the Lord worked out for all involved. In 2 Chronicles 17.10, And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdom of the lands that were around Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. A period of time when God protected the people of Israel from battles from their neighbors during a king that was actually trying to be uh, a godly king. In Job 28, 28, at the very end of Job, as God is giving his last um, thoughts to Job, and he said to the man, Behold, the fear of the Lord that is wisdom and to turn away from evil is understanding. Many of us are on a search to try to understand things. Well, maybe that search would start best if we started with the fear of God. And then from there, through his word and through the application of God's word, then we understand. The psalmist writes in Psalms 111.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Who of us would not want to be blessed with more wisdom? I know as I sat in the car that day, as my wife and children were in the house, I was searching for wisdom. I needed to understand all the things I knew about God and his words and to use them wisely and not for evil. Twelve of the sixteen times that the phrase, the fear of the Lord, shows up, in, shows up in Scripture is in the book of Proverbs. What is Proverbs known for? It's the teaching of wisdom. Here are a few. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Think about that statement. Fools despise wisdom and and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So earlier, fools despise wisdom. The wise person wants insight. He desires insight. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. It is healthy to fear the Lord. At my house, growing up, it was healthy to fear Bill. I've shared lots of stories about my father. He used the best parenting skills he had to try and keep us intact. The sad thing was, on almost every occasion, there wasn't a playbook. He didn't have scripture buried in his heart. He was winging it. I have vivid memories of my time alone as a child. But I have also a vivid memory of the warning. Yes, there was a warning. We were eating, well, we ate as a family every night. Nice little oval table in our kitchen uh, with all of us sitting around. If you've ever watched a movie, A Christmas Story, my children hate the fact that they've had to watch A Christmas Story. My wife will not watch the movie A Christmas Story with me. However, if you've watched it, you know the movie, you're going to shoot your eye out. Um, there's a young boy who wants a BB gun, and then you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Several scenes in that movie take place in their kitchen, around a table, eating a meal. And I truly believe one of the reasons I'm drawn to this movie is because of those scenes. He reminds me of Bill. Many of the things he does reminds me of Bill. When he goes down the stairs to fix the furnace, he reminds me of Bill. Uh, my mother asked me what language he was teaching me one day when we came in from him trying to fix the brakes of the car. I was clueless. That was us. We had assigned seats. I'm not sure they were really assigned, but we sat at the same place. Be by my mother because the most treasured child does sit next to the mother. My sister across from my mother and I my father next to my mother so she could get up and serve him seconds. And then my brother at the opposite end of the table next to me. On this particular evening, we're enjoying a meal, and my father went into his Columbo act. And if you've ever watched the, the show Columbo, and I'm dating most of us, so I know two-thirds of you have no idea who Columbo is. But a detective that would ask questions that he already knew the answer to. He would lumber away 
on other things to get to the question he wanted to ask. Well, Bill was being Columba. He asked my brother, do you know if any of your friends have ever been picked up for marijuana? My brother mistakenly played dumb. While my dad pushed it a little more, my brother made the statement. His words were that my dad and the little old lady did not need to worry about him. Well, I saw the fear of the Lord, or I saw what the fear of the Lord looks like. My dad jumped up from his chair at the end of the table, slid between my sister and the deep breeze that was behind her, headed to my brother. When my brother saw him, he jumped up, got out of his chair, and managed to get far enough away that he got backed up to the door to the pantry, which was right behind me. And I looked up, and my father was nose to nose with my brother. He says, you can call me anything you want. Old man, SOB, it doesn't matter. But if I ever hear you call your mother the old lady, it will be the last night you sleep in this house. Again, it will not go well for you if you don't obey the word of the Lord. He didn't stop there. He made a declaration. He was going to pack a suitcase for each one of us. He was going to put it in the hallway. He won't, if the day that we no longer wanted to follow the rules of his house, he would provide a one-way ticket to anywhere we wanted to go. We had relatives in California, in Texas, in Georgia, uh, in Missouri. He would provide us whatever we wanted. Matter of fact, he told my brother, I'm going to do you one better. I'm ordering a new car. It will be here in about six weeks. You can have the old one. You can take off and go where you want to go. That car was a 1965 Chevy Impala station wagon with a 405 engine, a holly carburetor, you know, a five-sheet stick on the floor. It was a nice car. I was thinking, I thought that was going to be for me. But sure enough, uh, the car came. Um, my dad helped my brother fix that car up and back in some windows. It was his camper. He took off to California. He did come back 18 months later. Uh, I still remember that phone call. We're sitting there watching TV, and the phone rings. Hey, and my dad, would you want Claude, which was the name he called both of us, uh, just wanted to know if I could come home. Well, you always know you can come home, but you know the rules. 45 minutes later, he was there. So he had driven all the way to Slidell before he had called my dad, and then he had to get enough guts up to go the last 20 miles to come home. That is the maddest I'd ever seen my dad. He was prepared to exile his own child for not following the rules of his house. God wasn't mad at the Israelites, but he was reminding them that he had put up with a lot over these almost 40 years, and that they shouldn't mess up this opportunity that he was about to give him. The other end of this little inclusio starts in verse 20. I'll do you a favor, and I'll read it from ESV. This is from verse 20. When your sons ask you in times to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? 
Then you shall say to your sons, this is what the fathers should say to their sons. This is what the parents should be teaching their children. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out to give Egypt out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all of his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. God was keeping the promise he had given Abraham. He was keeping the promise that he had told Abraham to tell Isaac. He was keeping the promise that he told Abraham to tell Isaac that he had told Jacob. And then Jacob's sons performed their own little mutiny and kicked the little brother out who ended up in Egypt that eventually brought them to provide for them in a time of famine. And then the whole nation of Israel grew while they were there. And so then... Verse 24, and the Lord commands us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our God for our good always, that we might preserve us alive as we are this day. All this time from a famine-infested Israel down to Egypt to great prosperity to the point of uh, then being enslaved because they were so comfortable uh, and now rescuing them. In verse 25, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all the com- this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Now, I know I've talked a lot about my father. I've talked about my hopes for my dreams for my own children uh, and even little Dino. But I understand that some of you don't share the same relationship with your dad as I did. I know some of you may not have the same relationship with your children as I do. And even some of you either don't have grandchildren or they may live off and you have little time with them. However, the reality is that the most important of this whole message is that the Lord is one. He is our Father. He was the Father to our fathers and to their fathers. He essentially is the Father to our children and to our grandchildren. We and they are God's creation. It is to him we give glory, but it is also to him we pray with our hurts and our sorrows. Moses was addressing the people of Israel, his chosen people. He had a wish for them, that he has a wish for us. Verse 25, and if you are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded you, commanded us, that will be our righteousness. If you're sitting here today listening, or if you're online and listening, and you don't really understand what is God's righteousness, if you don't know how you can make things right between you and God, if you're a parent, and maybe you think you've driven a wedge between your children and God, or even yourself and your children, I want to encourage you to reach out to me, to Wes, to David. We would welcome the opportunity to spend time in prayer with you, And just to help you in any way in reconciling yourself to God and, if possible, helping you reconcile yourself to your children. The drawing of one to God is an act of the Holy Spirit, working in the life of a sinner. Though there are no magic words we can have that recite 
there is instruction and teaching through the Word of God that can be used by the Holy Spirit to draw them to Christ. As I invite the band back up, I'm preaching to myself. I have experienced much pain in my life caused by myself. I've been fortunate to exist within a church family that's been patient with me. It has taught me how to love God's word and to seek God through his word. I hope that all of us will take the opportunity to share the resources that we have, whether we're the seeker or we're the one that wants to provide the instruction and help. We just made a promise in these charges to help these families with their children. Let's not take that lightly. I look across this room and I see many children that I've known since they were very, very small. And I've seen their families and what they've done to help raise them. But I also know many of you within this body that have been by their sides to do that. I know when I say Neil and Amy's name, you people know who that is. Many of you don't, but many of you young parents know who Neil and Amy are. They were with your two-year-olds. They taught them about Jesus. They chastised many of you, and don't make me call names. Uh, but they have also been an ear for you to uh, talk to, and they would pray for you. I want us to be a church full Uh, Neil and Amy's. Let us pray. Father, you love your people. You have provided for your people. You continue to provide for your people. I know we're a stubborn group. I know we tend to listen to things that we shouldn't listen to, to people we shouldn't listen to. The greater technology becomes, we have access to words that are not your words, to thoughts that are not your thoughts, for wishes that are not your wishes, Lord. I pray that as a people, we will be broken and that we will seek your word and we will commit to love the families you provided for us. Father, even if we come from horrible, nasty, messy families, Lord, that you have provided them for us and that there's never a moment that's too late for us to turn our hearts to you and to love you and to take that love and grace that you have for us and share it with our families. I thank you for the fellowship at Crosspoint.
pray you will continue to use this fellowship to raise the families of our community. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.